welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. joins us for a conversation about the journey to embracing her expansive queer sexuality and navigating the intersection of her Korean American identity. Together we talk about the shadow sides of the LGBTQIA and social justice movements, contradictions in cultural identities, and letting people have their own experience of us. Y'all, this episode is all about contradictions and paradox, and I had such a fun time getting to talk to Evelyn, who has clearly done significant emotional, interpersonal work to understand how she shows up in space and the boundaries between what are other people's experiences of her and what is her own experience, right? How do we separate and let go of the desire to control how other people are perceiving us? Part of that resides in having a strong sense of self and knowing how you want to show up in the world. And it is clear that Evelyn is doing just that with the way that she shows up with continuous compassion and empathy for the different journeys that we're all on, including Evelyn and including myself, right? We're all along a path, just figuring it out, doing our best. And so I think y'all are really going to enjoy this conversation today with Evelyn and learn so much from her wisdom. So y'all, tune in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Do you have any questions about the podcast before we start about me, anything that's coming up for you? No, no. I just want to dive deep into the recording. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So where do you want to dive into? Yeah. Yeah. So I I know where I want to start. So as I told you in my email that I sent to you, um, I wanted to talk about this idea of contradictions, Mm -hmm. Um, contradictions in our experiences and in culture and social movements. And I specifically want to talk about how personally in my life, the presence of those contradictions has helped me to be more understanding and more compassionate towards people Mm -hmm. in my personal life. And one example of this is um, when I went to my first Pride party um, a couple of years back, I think it was back, it was actually in 2016, so six years mm-hmm. ago, um, I was very excited because I hadn't gone to a Pride parade or a Pride event um, at that time in New York City before. And it was really interesting to be there because I was meeting new people in the Pride party. And um, I was talking to this individual who was interested in my romantic relationship. And and that person referred to my partner with they, them pronouns. And mm-hmm. after I said, oh, actually, my partner goes by he, him pronouns. And their response was, oh, are you straight? And 
I was bewildered at that question mm. because I hadn't expected that response from yeah. this person. So yeah, I was bewildered and taken back. But then I responded by saying, oh, actually, I'm, um, I'm pansexual. I'm queer. Yeah. And after that experience, and as I was reflecting on it, I thought that, yes, I was bewildered. And I also thought about how uh, mentally we do want to find shortcuts to understanding things and people. And I think that's what happened with this acquaintance that I was meeting. You know, it's, I understand that this person assumed that I was heterosexual because that is the conclusion that we easily go to when we imagine Mm -hmm. someone who's more masculine presenting and someone who's more feminine presenting if they're romantically together, we think they're both of them must be heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that that's the conclusion that my acquaintance came to when, when I met them at the party. But I think this experience led me to see that, that contradiction mm-hmm. because when you think about the LGBTQ space, when you think about queer spaces, you know, they have a culture of being open, right? Mm-hmm. Of being accepting. Yet in this moment, I did initially experience, have this experience of being boxed in or being a bit cornered. So Absolutely. that was the contradiction that I experienced in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that after doing some self-reflection and reflecting on that experience, I was able to be more understanding of this person Mm -hmm. that, you know, their mind wanted to quickly make sense of me and my sexual orientation. Um, So I understood that. And also know from this experience that there are so many ways to be queer. There's so many ways to be LGBTQ and you just, we just cannot infer a person's sexual orientation through who their partner is yeah mm-hmm. the, the most accurate way to know that is to simply ask mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah yeah absolutely it's like that person made a major assumption just based on hearing the pronouns of your partner right mm. yeah yeah so i was taken aback initially that was my response and I'm also glad that even though I was blindsided by what this person said, Mm -hmm. I was able to further my understanding of what being queer means, what it can look like, how it can be so varied and nuanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does being queer mean to you? I'd love to hear. Thank you. Thanks for asking me that. So to me, being queer to me means having clear self-knowledge, knowing yourself clearly. It means courage because Mm. it takes a lot of courage to think of your sexual orientation in ways that you're not used to because that that can be a disorienting experience initially. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Being queer to me means courage and it means clear self-knowledge. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. It can be so scary to challenge, you know, the status quo, the normativity of, you know, heterosexual life. And to challenge that means stepping out into your own self, your own feelings, and to trust that can be incredibly scary. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. 
When did you come into your queerness? If you'd mind sharing with me, like, is there a story of courage and bravery for you in that journey? Yeah, I don't mind yeah. sharing at all. Yeah, so, if you're willing. Sure. It's been a really long time since I've shared this story mm. with other people. So I need a, a moment to think back and mm-hmm. uh, articulate this. Yeah, to because I want to share this with you in a fluid mm-hmm. way. Yeah, of so, course. So I'm currently pansexual. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a cisgender woman, femme who is pansexual. I first came out as bisexual in 2016. Mm-hmm. So when I was still living in New York, yeah. And that actually was the year that I went to the Pride Parade and the party that I told you about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had actually had come out not too long before before that. and. I think I took time to think about my sexual orientation when I found myself walking around Queens and New York City and pretty much checking out other women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's so there are actually a lot of very stylish, fashionable, beautiful people around in New York City mm-hmm. and I unconsciously just sense myself doing a total take like wow this person is gorgeous or this person is beautiful and I didn't think too much of my reaction at first Mm. but then when I gave myself that room to self-reflect I thought I'm wondering if if I am attracted to women you know and I realized that I was yeah that I did have this attraction to women and that is how my revelation started. It started off as my understanding that I am attracted to people who share my gender. And then I slowly, I gained more clarity and realized that I'm attracted to people of all genders. Mm-hmm. So cisgender and transgender women, cisgender, transgender men, gender queer people. Um, so I know now that gender expression and identity they don't have a bearing on who I'm attracted Mm. to Mm -hmm. so that's where I'm at now yeah 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 Yeah. definitely which is a beautiful journey to come to that level of expansion it sounds like you felt it in your in your body maybe in some way before maybe you even consciously knew what was happening you said unconscious yeah and then yes taking that time to process seemed to clear it clear what that was coming up for you, which was sexual attraction. Yeah. 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 So then as you were coming into your bisexuality, coming from my personal experience, I have something similar, right, of going from bi to a little bit more expansive. And what I noticed in that experience was also how much my value system and what I saw of the world and what I found attractive really changed. Uh, I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like I've noticed – like gender fluid people are very attractive to me in ways that maybe when I was first coming out, I wasn't even like psychologically able to understand that. You know what I mean? I don't know how to say that, but like I just hadn't thought about these ideas in that way to even like open up my sense of attraction. I don't, you know, I feel if you feel me. I do. I do feel you. Yeah. That was my experience as well. Okay. Um, Because uh, as I mentioned before, when I, acknowledged my queerness I came out to myself Mm -hmm. as bisexual meaning and to me um, what that meant was 
I'm attracted to people who share my gender, women who are cisgender and transgender, and also mm-hmm. I'm attracted to men who are cisgender mm-hmm. and transgender. Mm-hmm. And that was my definition of bisexuality because at that point, I hadn't had much experience interacting with non-binary people exactly. or genderqueer people. Yep. So that's yep. the reason that that was my that was my definition of bisexuality and it accurately reflected my experiences and how I saw myself at the time. Mm-hmm. And since then I have interacted with non-binary people and genderqueer people and I had new experiences of being drawn to them of thinking wow they're beautiful mm-hmm. you know and I really find them attractive you Absolutely. know. So I think that's why my my own queerness and my sense of it did expand and mm-hmm. did change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even that, I think it it requires us to hold space for Absolutely. the fluidity of our own sexuality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I forgot to mention about uh, my experience at yeah, the Pride Party Yeah, that I wanted to talk about. And so the thing that I wanted to mention is that I love being in the LGBTQ community. I love that there's so much positivity and Mm -hmm. so much love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is what I felt at the Pride Parade and at the Pride Party for sure. And I also want to bring to light that there is, so I believe that everything and every person has its positive aspects and its negative aspects, Mm -hmm. you know, its positive side and a shadow side. And I think it's important to acknowledge both and Mm -hmm. um, a shadow side of the LGBTQ movement that I want to talk about is I personally sense that being heterosexual is somehow less than being queer. I've felt this um, opinion and um, this vibe in specific queer spaces. And I think it was interesting to experience Mm -hmm. because I thought I want to understand this perspective. And I realized that, okay, I get it if people in the LGBTQ community think that if you're queer or if you have these specific identities, then you're more progressive or mm. you're better, you know? I I say I understand this perspective because maybe the folks who hold this perspective want to feel good about themselves, you know? Mm. Perhaps they want to affirm themselves and give themselves assurance. And at the same time, I also want to say that I think whether we are LGBTQ or whether we are heterosexual or have any um, sexual orientation, I think it's just important that it accurately reflects who we are and our sense of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like sometimes there's almost this assumption that if someone's heterosexual, they just haven't explored themselves deep enough. They haven't, you know, been open enough to this. So in that way, I think there might be that, yeah, sort of assumption that they haven't expanded, you know, enough sure. to to just be open. So yeah, yeah, there could be that negative look on heterosexuality, which is just another sexual orientation. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important to um, acknowledge all these facets and elements of the LGBTQ community and movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's interesting. What's coming up to me right now is I'm feeling this this um this sense that sometimes I find myself doing this with the concept of heterosexuality when I refer to people that I'm dating and in a way to kind of say, yeah, they haven't challenged a lot of concepts of norms, um, which I guess is reinforcing this pattern, right? So I'll, I'll say to my friends like, oh, I went on a date and like he's like a cishet man. And by that meaning something, which it is he's less progressive in some way. Um, so I can feel myself that I do this, um, but not in the connotation of saying that there's something wrong with that, but trying to also say that like, that's why I didn't want to go on another date because I can't, they, they, the way that they interact with the world is fundamentally different. And that shows up in small little things of like how they interact with me and hold space, maybe like interrupting or doing things that are assumed gender norms and stuff, which is just, I don't know if you uh, yeah, like I find myself doing this. But Thank like, you for your honesty. Yeah, absolutely. But not yeah. wanting to be like they're not progressive. It's just like it's a different paradigm almost. You know what I mean? I hear you. Yeah. I think that I think that it's valid and totally legitimate to speak from our own personal experiences yeah. of people of different sexual orientations. And I also have learned to be more mindful of making blanket statements yeah, about absolutely. groups of people yep. because as as you and I both know people are so different and varied in the way they experience themselves their sexual orientation so yeah. so I think it's one thing to have a specific experience with someone with a certain sexual orientation and it's a different thing to make a general statement I think that honesty and also understanding the nuances that people hold is really important absolutely and I have met some cis het men that are amazing right and I feel yeah. safe with them I feel like they're not trying to enact power dynamics that I frequently see out in the world with people. Um, and so in those spaces, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing then to like maybe for me to take that step back and kind of acknowledge the ways that in that shortening of trying to explain how my date was with this person, I am like reenacting a negative connotation on that whole blanket group of people. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I think this is important to talk about in the language that we use because I've seen some of this on um, on Hinge with people, some queers who will be like, uh, you should not go out with me if you're a cishet person, mm. you know, cishet man. Like, mm. exactly. And, w and what are you saying by that? Right, right. That's a great question because the question that you're you're posing right now, Nicole, it shows us that we say so much with our verbal words, but we mm -hmm. also make a statement with what we don't say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then is this reinforcing, you know, there's like almost, yeah, there's not enough space for heterosexuals by doing that. Cis heterosexuals. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Mm -hmm. So I want 
to shift our conversation to a different aspect of my identity if you're all right with that yeah let's do it yeah so as I told you I experience contradictions when it comes to my queer identity and I've also experienced this with my cultural identity Mm -hmm. and my ethnic background Mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk about that as well because it's a very important part of my life and uh, my experience of myself so um, as I mentioned to you before I'm Korean American my folks are from South Korea. They immigrated here in the 80s. I was born in the US. And it was a year ago when I understood that there is this contradiction in my cultural identity as a Korean American Mm -hmm. because of the history that the US and South Korea share or the Mm -hmm. history that the US and the Korean Peninsula share. So something that I recently learned was that during the Korean War, the United States, it's this country's armed forces dropped 600,000 tons of bombs on the Korean Peninsula. And that caused a lot of damage and a lot of trauma at that time. And it was, it took a while for me to unpack that because mm-hmm. I needed to come to terms with the fact that my parents immigrated to the country whose armed forces damaged their homeland. Mm-hmm. That caused a lot of trauma in their homeland. So that is a a paradox. Absolutely. And this also relates to my developing understanding of North Korea. Mm. So talking about North Korea, as I'm sure you're aware, is a very polarizing topic. And I think North Korea is important for me to talk about because when I look at pictures of the people living there, I see myself. Mm. I see myself. I see people who share my ethnicity. So it's like they're they're like me, you know? And I mentioned North Korea because I recently learned that the reason that North Korea has so much tension with the U.S. is because of this history. Mm. It's because the U.S.'s armed forces caused so much damage to their land that North Korea has this resentment. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, I'm, I'm like, I, I understand, you know, I understand that. I understand that resentment and that hurt. I also understand that if a North Korean person were to meet me, you know, someone who speaks their language, but someone who's born in the U.S., I think they would be shocked or maybe mm. they would see me as a traitor or they, wow. maybe they just wouldn't be able to wrap their minds around the fact that I'm a Korean person who grew up in the U.S. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. Mm. And I understand that. Yeah. So I think that I've learned to make peace with the contradiction in this, in this cultural identity that I have, you know, Mm -hmm. I have learned to sit with it as uncomfortable and weird as it is. Mm. And I also have been thinking about the privileges that I've had because I have a U.S. passport and I was born and grew up in the U.S. So one privilege that I have as a result of that is I'm an English speaker. Mm -hmm. And that is an immense privilege because when I go to another country, most countries in the world, I can get around easily because I'm an English speaker. Mm-hmm. And someone whose first language isn't English would have a different experience of a different country. And 
I also am thinking about how maybe some fa really passionate folks listening to me might be like, well, since you're saying this, why don't you like go back to Korea or something like that? Like, why don't you like leave this place? And to them, I would say, well, I can say these things about North Korea and also acknowledge that I've been blessed to be in this country. I've been blessed to experience a high standard of living and learn English. And it's a deep process of self-reckoning mm -hmm. and understanding myself to sit with these paradoxes. Absolutely. I mean, yes. I mean, you grew up here. I, I that question hurt like hurts me to hear that even someone would say that to you. I I'm having a reaction on my own part that someone would even think that to say that to you. Hmm. Yeah. I'm also thinking about traitor. I mean, that's such a tough word to to hold to know that someone might think that of you for feeling the way that you do about your lived experience. Yeah, yeah. I when I think about that, I I think that it's a an intense word, you know, yeah. an an intense label to put on somebody and I also know that if someone were to ever say that to me directly or label me that way directly or even suggest it through their body language or their approach to me, I would, of course, I would be flustered and I would yeah. always, as I've said before, want to come back to that place of understanding, you know, mm -hmm. maybe I'm beyond their their understanding or their point of reference mm. of what a person like me could be or think or believe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like coming back to this sort of experience with compassion. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Compassion for maybe where they're at at that time to understand your complexities. Totally, totally. I think that when people have strong reactions to who we are, it may be because we are beyond their understanding. We are beyond their point of reference. And I would say that it's okay for us to be beyond what somebody can understand. Absolutely. That is absolutely okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we can take up all the space that we need to be ourselves and should damn well take up that space. Of course. Of course. And when someone is emotionally triggered by that or has a strong reaction to that, meeting someone like me or you could be very well be the doorway for them to mm -hmm. expand their understanding of people and to expand their understanding of these contradictions that people carry. Do you find yourself playing that role when you meet people? I do. I do yeah. every now and then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I am the type of person who is very mindful and considerate of another person's experience with me. So whenever someone is having a strong reaction to my presence, I sense it immediately. Mm. And though I sense it immediately, I also am growing in my ability to hold my ground and mm, to be able to say, this that. is who I am. 
And even though you may be having a strong, uncomfortable response to it right now, I don't want to buckle. I don't want to buckle. I want to be sincere. I want to be honest with how mm. I show up in front of you. That takes a lot of strength. It does. Yeah, my fond response is hard. Like I just someone, you know, I just you I just want to people please. I what is the journey of getting to that level of strength for you? That journey has definitely entailed understanding boundaries. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. Having a lot of self-compassion mm. and also differentiating between my experience and someone else's experience, where I start and end and where the other person begins. Can you say more about that? Sure, sure. Yeah. So when I was a teenager and a young adult, I found myself in very emotionally intense interactions, partially because I wanted to caretake other people's emotions. Speaking to me, I'm listening. Yes. Because I was so invested in having the conversation be pleasant and be harmonious, I had this approach of, oh, you're uncomfortable with me? Let me fix that. Let Mm -hmm. me do something to change that. But when I look back at those kinds of interactions I've had, I realized that that was at my expense. That was at the expense of my sincerity. Yep, absolutely. And my showing up honestly. And Mm -hmm. in those interactions, I knew that I was mixing up my stuff and the other person's stuff. So once I realized that I could draw the line somewhere, that I could draw the line between someone's stuff, someone's personal experience and Mm -hmm. mine, Mm -hmm. I had a stronger ability to let people have their own experience of me, regardless of what it is. Yeah, that is something that we are always trying to hold on so tightly to control how other people perceive us. You know, I'll say this, I'll do that so that, that, you know, they think this about me and to let that go because it sounds like you know who you are. Right. That's very strong. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And it's, it's a process for sure. It's a process. It is an unfolding of yourself. Mm-hmm. It is this gradual evolution of understanding what you're about, understanding how you want to show up in the world. Absolutely. And also advocating for yourself, taking mm-hmm. care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what this process has been like for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's maybe what's necessary for us to be able to suss out what is someone else's experience versus ours. Right. I know you you said when you have a dynamic with someone and they're coming, they're having a reaction, you sense it. Yes. Tell me more about how you sense it and then because of that, how you suss out their stuff versus your stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. So whenever someone – is having an unpleasant or negative experience of me, mm-hmm. even though they might not directly tell me that outright, I can still sense it through their tone of voice, yeah. through their body language, through what they say as well. And one example of this is when 
I've had experiences of people um, speak to me and and their tone to me was quite condescending. Mm. Um, so one specific example of this is a job interview that I had seven or eight years ago. Sure. Um, I got called in for an education coordinator role. And when I was in the interview, I sat with two other people and one of them asked me, so what do you know about being an education coordinator? And the other person was like, do you know what that is? <laughs> do you know me? what that is? And even without them saying it outright, I knew that they were doubting me. Ah. So I knew that I was not in the right place. That Absolutely. was the wrong place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you sensed that and knew that, right? Because then, you know, I might go into that situation and be like, oh yeah, well, of course I know. Like, let me show you and like go back into that more, oh yeah, without that grounding in your sense of self to walk away and say, this isn't the right space for me. So, you know, me, someone else might fawn into that re response and then try to prove. So- mm. Hell yeah. I'm glad you know that and feel that. Yes. Thank you. And I want to say that this, the fawning response is, I completely understand it because I've been there. And yeah. I say I understand it because it makes sense that in that type of interaction that I just mentioned, you want to meet the moment, so to speak. Yeah. You want to convey that you are competent that mm -hmm. you can meet the challenge yeah. and at the same time from my experience when I've responded in that way I've experienced myself as feeling drained after that it's feeling yes. drained and very disoriented like what just happened absolutely like, what just happened yeah, yeah. so after I had those experiences, I knew that responding in that way was not healthy for me. Mm -hmm. And I would rather preserve my energy and preserve my own peace. And I think one important thing too is with jobs, that's totally a space where that happens. These are relationships. I think we kind of, oh, it's just work, but really you're interacting dynamics with other people. It's really important right. to, you know, protect yourself and be in environments that feel safe. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, as you've been evolving that sense of self, what has your community looked like during that time? Has it shifted as you've changed? Yes. So my community at that time was very dynamic mm. and very uh, robust because I was in living in New York City at that time mm. from 2014 until 2018. So during the time of that job interview that I talked to you about, yes, I was living in New York City. And as a result of being in proximity to a lot of people, my social circle was pretty big and very dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that was because of where I lived and also because I was very active on Twitter. Um, I actually, on that platform, I actually connected with a lot of Asian Americans like myself in the activist space, in the mm -hmm. social justice space. Yeah. So my geographic location and my activity on Twitter at that time contributed to my community being what it was, being dynamic, mm -hmm. being pretty robust and being very social justice and socially, um, social consciousness focused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It has changed 
since then. Mm -hmm. So since the pandemic began, I actually moved to New Jersey and mm -hmm. I've actually lived in um, a small town in the countryside in rural New Jersey. So it's been a completely different experience and I've had immense amounts of solitude to myself. So wow. it was just a complete 180 in the social experience. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so even though I've had my moments of missing my social life in New York City and missing the vitality of my mm. life there, I have reminded myself that this is a prime time for me to know mm. myself, to get even more clear on who I am and how I'd like to show up in the world mm -hmm. and in my social relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's how I'm making the most of my solitude here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I feel like solitude is needed for that sense of self. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about how it's true that we can get clarity on ourselves and interacting with other people. Oh, 100%. And I also think that what you're saying is on point that when we have solitude, we can sit with ourselves, sit with our inner selves and get clarity on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is the paradox of the human experience, right? Is we need to be able to understand who we are in ourselves. And we also need and are dependent on other people. Yes. There is no pulling those two away, you know? Right. We, we are social beings. We have relationships in our lives that Absolutely. shape us and provide the community that we need. So it's never like we're just going to go live on a – I mean, I guess you you do. There are people that live completely isolated and find sense of relationships with nature and other things in their life. But I think we're always in relationship of some sort. Definitely. And so being able to recognize both of that, the the individual and the community. Yes. And I know it doesn't make sense at the same time, but it does because that's our life. That's the paradox, right? Definitely. Contradiction. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then it's for me, I find if I spend like a lot of time with a lot of other people, uh, people are such mirrors to who we are. And totally. I don't, you know, your system of where you're at will change how you interact. And so depending on what communities you're in, you kind of almost feel a different sense of self to some degree. And so for me, I think it's it's so nice to be able to sit back in the solitude when it's just your mirror with yourself and you're able to see, yeah, how do I show up when I am completely at my own at my own capacity at my own right. will, whatever comes up for me totally so important totally totally and I definitely thank you for asking <laughs> me about community because yeah. that was actually a great transition and segue into the third topic that I wanted to talk oh, about yeah, let's, go, let's go yeah sure which was about the community the social justice community that I was involved in when I was in New York City so mm -hmm. since the overarching theme of this talk is contradictions. I want to talk about contradictions in relation to social justice movements. Absolutely. And the main idea that I want to talk about from my personal experience is that my orientation towards social justice movements have shifted in terms mm. of how I show up. Yeah, tell me. So... As I told you, when I was living in New York City, I was very active on Twitter. I was showing up in person to events. 
mm-hmm. supporting Black Lives Matter, supporting gender justice and gender equality. And I was very passionate about the work and mm-hmm. I learned so much. And to this day, of course, I'm so appreciative of that time. And I also think about how I exited the space because of burnout, mm-hmm. because because of burnout and because I was very discouraged. So I think this is one of the shadow sides, the hidden sides of social justice movements that is so important to talk about. One thing that I had a lot of questions around when I was active in this space was, how do we know when progress has happened? How do we know when we've gone to win? Mm-hmm. Because when I was involved in the space and passionately advocating for these different causes, I experienced, had this experience of devoting a lot of energy to these causes, but it seemed like the winds were very sparse or the winds were not there, or there was something else, like another problem or another thing, like another issue. And I want to say that it's definitely important to identify the aspects of our culture and society that can shift for the better and improve. And I also think it's so important to celebrate the wins, mm-hmm. to rest, yeah, and to take care of ourselves as we are advocating and being activists for different causes that we care about. Absolutely. Yeah, because that, ca- that care runs really deep. It, it's a part of your being. It's a part of how you see the world. It's how how you love, how you want to interact in this space. And so, yeah, that can be so, so immensely tough when we have such big goals for the future that we want to see in our community right, right. and how frequently there's so many different barriers that are up in the way for that that dream, you know, space that we hope for humanity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, being able to bring it back down to the small – moments of of wins I think is a really important thing to to focus on totally totally I think that the vision that people hold that we hold of having a better world a better society is beautiful and it's so needed we need that vision yes to pull us forward and at the same time I think that it's important to not get discouraged by the obstacles and the barriers that are present Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's important to celebrate regularly yeah. because that can be encouraging and affirming for mm-hmm. everybody in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then for you, as you were grappling with this, now how do you take care of yourself as an activist and someone that is in that space? What do you do for yourself to know? Yeah, so now I think about how I can show up Mm. to the causes that I care about in ways that are joyful for me and that are sincere, Mm -hmm. meaning I want to show up in social justice spaces in a sincere way and also in a joyful way too, in a way that says, I'm glad to be here. What can I do? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm glad to be here. How can I use my strengths to encourage other people to affirm this vision that we have of a better society, of a more socially conscious and compassionate culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about how 
over the years, I have gone from being very active physically, mm-hmm. marching on on the streets in Brooklyn, in New York City, for different causes, to being more internal. So the way that I've showed up has changed, but Mm -hmm. the level of support that I have inside of me for these different causes is the same. It's the same. It's just has always been there. And I think that this is important to talk about because when I was actively marching, someone told me, Evelyn, remember that the most vocal supporters of these causes could be the people who aren't even here. This Mm -hmm. is what my dating partner told me, what my romantic partner told me. This is what he said. And I was like, that is true. That is definitely true. And what he said that day to me has stuck with me because Mm -hmm. it can be easy for us to think that the people who are marching on the streets are the most passionate supporters, are the ones who are 100% on board. That could be true, but at the same time, the people who aren't there could be just as passionate and just as supportive of this cause. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what you're you're touching on too, at least how I'm understanding it, is the multiple ways that we can bring about a better future. Right? There there is yes. marching in the streets and there is also the relationships that you have in your life. And I'm sure that you, we kind of talked on this earlier, right? You being that person that it brings up emotions for other people, but for you to still come back with compassion and love, you're doing that exact radical act of choosing love, compassion, and in that changing the society, whether you're marching on the streets or not, like there's different ways to bring about this dynamic and to change the world around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I so appreciate you mentioning choosing love and choosing compassion because another contradiction that I see in social justice movements is that when we take a stand against specific Mm -hmm. injustices, Um, When we take a stand against hate, for example, I have seen people embody that very same hate that they claim to be against. So one example of this is I saw a video online, I think it was an Instagram reel, of somebody recording um, a beach scene. So the person recording this video was on the beach, and you see a large tractor going across the beach, and the person riding the tractor or driving it has this huge Trump 2020 sign on it. And the person who's recording this video is cursing Mm. at that tractor driver and is audibly angry and enraged. And in that moment, I thought it's, it's clear that this person does not support Trump. And of course, Donald Trump has said so many hateful things about so many different communities. And when I looked at that video, I had to pause and think the person who recorded this video is most definitely against the hateful things that Trump has said, Mm -hmm. but they've showed hate themselves in that moment. And I thought, yes, the anger is there's a place for that. You know, it's important to process the anger that we feel, the grief that we feel around these topics and around these injustices. And at the same time, I think that it's important to transform that 
to transform mm-hmm. the anger and the grief into our vision for what we want to see in the world. So I think it's one thing to say I'm against racism and I'm against these injustices. I'm against police brutality against the Black community. Yep. It's one thing to say that. And it's another thing to say I'm supportive of a socially conscious community. I am supportive of people being mindful of who they are and who other people are mm-hmm. and communicating with love and compassion. I think it's different. And I think that, yes, there's a place for anger and grief and it can be so heavy to carry, which is why I personally believe that at a certain point, it's important to transform that into what do we want to create? What kind of world do we want to be in? It's important to get to that point, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's uh, – what word would I use? It's it's not possible to think that we're ever going to be completely compassionate, loving all the time. Right. We won't in, be. Exactly. Yeah, because I, we're human. Yeah. Exactly. And we that's will have I, our moments. Absolutely. And that is fair. That is part of our survival to defend against things that, you know, are threatening to our sense of life and to come back with anger that I, un- we can understand that. And I feel like what you're hitting on so beautifully is the importance of seeing the humanity, right? Like Trump supporter or not, that is another human that you're talking to. How can we focus on that? I, I understand that, you know, there are threats to our our bodily autonomy occurring, you know, yeah. and things like that, that, oh, yeah. my God, I have every right to be absolutely furious with absolutely. someone. Yeah. But that is a human being. And, and, and one, above all, like what are you going to get out of this dynamic? It's not going to achieve the world that you're dreaming of by yelling back at them. Right, right. Not at all. So like what's the point here? I, I love that you're taking this pause to like say, yeah, I that feeling, anger, yes, it makes sense. And how do we take that energy and direct it towards something that is going to get us closer to that vision of what we want? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. And I think that's a practice, right? That is a practice. And I feel like something that I'm constantly um, – as we're talking that I'm hearing from you is this ability to to be in space, to recognize what is coming up for you, and then to be able to pause enough to make the decision of how you want to show up and how you want to respond rather than reacting. Yes. Mm. Yes. Thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah, that's huge. And I feel like that's the only way we can do this work. And that's why I enjoy getting to talk to people like you who I can ask, how did you do this? How did how did you get to this space of being able to do that? And I feel like you've hit on many of the things that sounds like solitude, community, having compassion for ourselves, even when we do things that we don't like and to – to continually grow through that. Right. Yeah. All of those things are so, so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And above all, one of the things that has been coming to me too is, is remembering that we're also here to enjoy and to live and to have pleasure, right? I, I find exactly. myself constantly getting this space of like analyzing, okay, how can I be better? How can I heal? How can I grow? You know, mm. versus remembering like, hey, that's a part of the capitalistic push too. Like right. we, we do our work and we're passionate about this 
and we have joy. Yes. We let ourselves, you know, enjoy the beauty of the world, of food, of pleasure, of all the things. So to hold Absolutely. that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's something I've been trying to come into more. Mm, yes. The pleasure. Yes. Yeah. That is so essential because <laughs> there is a place for both. Yes, yeah. exactly. Not one or the other, not toxic positivity, not all of this. I think this is the complexity of the human experience. Right. Kind of like you said earlier, people have good, bad, all of this. It is, it's the yin and yang of life. Like we have all these contrasting things that are always in flow together. I always talk about quantum mechanics, though, you know, light wave particle, duality, the things that contradict but come together right for the fullness of yeah life absolutely yeah i want to hold some space here in case i know you came in with a direction but just in case there's anything lingering for you on your heart that you wanted to say or talk about before i come to our last closing question no so there's nothing okay. our our interview and our conversation feels complete to yeah, me. good 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 that's the feeling we want to have of that release and i really appreciate you coming in with direction I'm, that makes my job easy i can just sit back <laughs> and we can flow so yes yes well then let me ask you the one last question that i ask everyone on the podcast what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal no one has ever asked me this question, so I thank you for asking me this. One thing that I wish more people would know is normal is presence, and this actually relates to the last point you made about mm-hmm. how our culture advocates for us being ambitious and growing personally and professionally in many ways and I wish that more people would know that it is normal to be fully present Mm -hmm. in your experience of this life on earth and we have every right to experience joy and to live our life as we grow and as we reach our goals absolutely that is okay to do and it's also important to live our life and to take it all in, to Mm. have a vibrant experience of our daily life. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are worthy in the moments of joy, worthy in the moments of sadness, frustration, all of this. We never want to box ourselves off from the full array of emotions that come with being human. Right. Yeah. There is – you're worthy and full of joy in all of that. So – I think that's a very important thing. I, I like the word you use, presence. Presence in your full humanity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was beautiful. Thank really you. appreciated that. Yeah, it resonated with me. I closed my eyes and like felt the words that you were saying. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you too, Nicole. It was Absolutely. a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. <laughs> it's always so fun. It's a dance and to me, just getting to share space with another human and talk and play. So thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Yeah. Is there anywhere you would want to plug to various things? To yourself, to your Twitter? I'm not sure what you do with your social media if you're trying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to direct people to my website. Yeah. Um, it's I'm at evelynwykim.com. Mm-hmm. Um, publicly, I am 
guiding people in their personal development as a holistic educator. I do tutoring and also through personal guidance sessions, which are very similar to life coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be available for people who want to incorporate more soul, more spark, Mm -hmm. more joy into their everyday life so that they can have maybe a different or more expansive experience of that. So they could reach me at my website. Lovely, lovely. And then I'll make sure I have that in a link below so that way people can check it out. Yeah, thank you for sharing space with me today. Yes, you're welcome. And I thank you too. Yeah, it was a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the Anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.